All right, where have we been through? So last week, we knew that uh, a lot of the people, a lot of the crowds that were following Jesus to into Jerusalem, he's now marching into Jerusalem, were still thinking that, hey, is Jesus really our king? Is he our Captain America? Is he going to free us from the big bad Romans and the sinners? Is he going to clean up the temple of the chief priests because they're corrupt? And also, is he going to just sit on the throne in the temple and finally rule the day so that Jerusalem will be back in its old form? Make Jerusalem great again. Maga? Maja? Maja? Make Jerusalem great again? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> right? Maja? Enja? Anyway, uh, you know what I mean. So, make Jerusalem great again. But then we realized that uh, through his uh, moments of teaching with uh, Bartimaeus, uh, the, the, blind, uh, the blind man, the healing of him, and Zacchaeus, that Jesus was trying to uh, actually subtly tell them, no, you're wrong. The way you're seeing the Messiah is incorrect. I am not Captain America. I am not your hero to solve your issues, your personal problems. I'm not here to solve your self-esteem. I'm not here to uh, save you from your enemies. No, I'm here to start a whole new way of life, a whole new outlook, a whole new worldview. I am here to actually, Jesus is saying, to tell you that I am God, the very God that you are seeking. However, the people were going, no, that's preposterous. How can you be God? And Jesus forgave sins. No, 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 no. You can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive. Jesus healed. No, no, no. Only God can heal. Because only God can forgive sins, then followed by healing. You follow? So the Jews and the crowd were confused. They had a mixed bag of uh, opinions, emotions. They didn't know what to do with Jesus. But there were two groups that did. And the, one of them were the chief priests, because they knew that uh, Jesus was already cleaning out the synagogues, and their income is really dependent on the populations in those synagogues. So people are leaving the synagogues, so they go, uh-oh. Uh, the chief priests are going, uh-oh, I'm losing my income here. So then they're really ticked off with, uh, uh, with Jesus, because they're supposed to be the leaders of the temple, not Jesus. But then we also have the Pharisees, who are actually the people who are missionaries, actually. They're really out there in the cities, in the, in the urban areas, preaching that type of message that they wanted to believe in, that uh, we're, get yourselves ready, follow the law, make yourself, uh, uh, and make sure you accumulate wealth so that uh, you can like, uh, pursue your own desires type of thing, but make sure that, that you honor it, you honor it and honor God with it. And then if you have wealth, it means that you're actually following the law, which means that God is blessing you. You know that whole formula again? You know, if, I, if I'm wealthy, like the rich young ruler, if I'm wealthy, then God is blessing me, you know? And it means that I'm following the law quite well. So the, the Pharisees don't really like Jesus because the, Jesus is telling them, no, you got to sell off all your things. You got to, it's not about wealth. It's not about how you, like, uh, that God will bless you with what you want, right? It's more about you being obedient to God. And so the Pharisees are trying to get rid of Jesus as well. So that's where we are. And now he's approaching almost to the doorstep of Jerusalem. Actually inside Jerusalem, but not yet to the temple. 
He's right at the doorstep. And uh, so the, the crowds were going, okay, he's here. He's here. Okay, yeah, we've heard that he's done a lot of uh, miracles. We've heard that he's done a lot of healings. Can this be it? Can this be the Captain America again? Right? Then he's going to come in. And hence, we have this verse to begin our chapter. Luke chapter 19. What does it say? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And it starts off with verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now, it's not confusing to you anymore, right? Some of us may be confused at first of why uh, the people would think the kingdom of God would come at once. Well, think about it. How did they see Jesus? They saw him as a possible hero, right? A possible Captain America. And now he's fulfilling prophecy that he's coming into Jerusalem to clean house. So you can clean up the mess that's in that that's inside this temple, and so they think, yes, the kingdom of God's coming. How do they define the kingdom of God again? The kingdom of God for them is not the kingdom of God we understand it. The kingdom of God is more about anybody know them, pure, ethnic, Jew. So if you eat bacon, tough beans for you, right? So. You cannot possibly be in the kingdom of God if you were a Gentile, if you're not a Jew. You have to follow the law. You have to be circumcised as your guy, ouch. And you have to be from a Jewish descendant. So therefore, if you're, all of us would not be here without Jesus, if you think about it. Right? The kingdom of God for the Jew is actually pure Jew, pure Jerusalem. You cannot possibly step in. And so Jesus, being the perfect Jew, with no blemish, obeyed every single law. He is actually the guy for them. And that's why they thought the kingdom of God will appear now. But then, we have a little, just like Jesus, what he does, Jesus responds that statement. And how does he do it? He starts with a parable. And before we begin, let's take a look at the structure of uh, what we're going into. First of all, we start off with the parable of the master and the servants. Well, lo and behold, there's another parable at the other side with the master and the servants, right? right? We have the, uh, the parable of the minas, right? And then the parable of the great vineyard. Sorry, I was about to say great yard. Uh, we have a parable of the vineyard. You follow? So we have two obvious bookends. Master servants, master servants. You follow? And so everything in the middle should be read in light of those two bookends. And so these two bookends is where we're going to focus our attention on this morning, and then try to build it right up to the middle of that center where you see the cleaning of the temple. That's the climax. Hence, the climax is not really the triumphal entry, which a lot of people tend to think. No, theologically, a lot of theologians say the cleaning of the temple is the climax. And this is why they say that. It's because of the structure. So, if you have your Bibles, let's go into the first parable. Luke chapter 19, verse 12. So Jesus begins with this story. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. Pause. 
Sounds familiar, right? You already hear this tone? Right? Sounds familiar. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given money in order to find out what they had gained with it. Verse 16. The first one came and said, Sir, your mana has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words because really, you're wrong. That's how you should read it. You wicked servant, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man, eh? Taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Verse 23, why then didn't you put your my money in deposit so that when I come back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them to here and kill them in front of me. Okay, that's the first parable. Now, if you can, go over to chapter 20, and let's take a look at that parable, similar to this one. All right, here we go. Chapter 20, verse 9. He went on to tell the parable, this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Verse 15. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of the, that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew, they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. See, folks, this parable is not for us, these two. All right? We're not a Jew. Look at your skin. <laughs> right? Look at, well, for the men, don't look. Okay, never mind. Cut that. All right, so <laughs> these are for the Jews, and the audience was Jewish. So they knew what, God, what Jesus was talking about already. When he talks about, when Jesus alludes to king, who do you think the Jews were uh, think that, that Jesus was referring to? God. When, you, when Jesus referred to servants or subjects, the Jews would immediately think it's them, the people, the Israelites. Follow? Because you really got to familiarize, with, familiarize yourself with the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, God has referred himself to the king. And the Israelites referred to themselves as the servants, as the subjects. So when, the, when Jesus said these, parables, these two parables, immediately 
the Jews knew exactly who he was talking about and who is he addressing. And that's why the chief priest went a little bit, right? Because he knew. So if they did know, and it had a lot to do with master servants, and the master had to do, and the servants had a job to do, and, and this whole mess occurred because the servants did not do a particular job, right? You follow? Both parables are about something that the, the servants were expected to do but didn't do it. We have to go back to the Old Testament and ask ourselves, so if the Israelites were the servants and they had a job to do, the question is, what the heck was that job? Right? Isn't that the simple question? So what was that job? And did I put it up there? Yes. It's all the way back to Genesis. So here, let me read. When uh, God told Abraham that he will be a great nation out of this, he gave a, a command. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. A blessing to all the nations, right? Isaiah 49.6, he repeated again, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God commanded and reiterated many times throughout the Old Testament that you are to be a light to all the nations. You are to actually have, you actually have a job to do. You are called God's people, chosen. You're saved by God. You were released from Egypt. Now, share this salvation to everyone. Be a blessing. Go. A reminder every single time. If you look at every prophet and at every book, God always said, go out, go out. Don't stay in, don't stay in. Even the Tower of Babel, what happened? They conjugated. But then so God goes, you, I told you. I told you to go, right? So what did he do? He introduced language, right? And then dispersed them. You get, you follow? Don't stay, go, right? Don't be here. I'm trying to think about what, what are we doing here today? But anyway, like, go, send, be missional. Preach, preach the good news that I've saved you and that this God is a loving God, not these ancient gods, not like Thor or Artemis or something. No, this is the real, true deal God who loves humanity and wants to save them. Go. But throughout the whole Luke gospel and all the other gospels that you're familiar with, did they do that? No. What did they do? They kept it for themselves. Instead, they built up walls. They, they develop more laws. They develop more legalities. They develop that you can't eat bacon, so I'm out. Right? They said that don't drink whiskey, I'm out. They just said they, they, they don't watch football, I'm out. Right? They, 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 you know, that type of thing. Right? Like they say, don't eat shrimp. Oh, so much for dim sum, I'm out. <laughs> right? That type of thing. They developed so many rules that not even a single Gentile could get in. And then they developed even more rules to not even let a sick person get in or a widow get in. You have to be a perfect six foot six. I don't know. Do Jews even make it to six foot six? Like, you know, like have to be tall and, you know, and, and smart and then wealthy, law-abiding citizen, this perfect citizen. How can you achieve that? So they really did not do what God wanted them to do. Follow? And so that's the theme. I know I didn't elaborate every, all the parables, but I'm sure you've already 
read these parables in your studies. A lot of you have grown up in church. You already beat these two parables to death like a dead horse, right? But what I'm trying to do is give you the context of how to read everything else. All right? This is where we're coming from. The Jews had a job and they didn't do it. And that's why Jesus is here. The Jews had a job in the Old Testament and didn't do it. And that's why they got, there was Malachi. And that's why they ended. That's why all their kings went. Right? They had a job and didn't do it. So, now we got the gist. Now we know that you know, Jesus is here as God and king. We now know that the Jews had a job but didn't do it. So now the question is, what's next? Right? If the Jews didn't do their job, is this the end game for the Jews? And yes. Let's go into Luke chapter 19, verse 28. The next parent. All right? You guys following so far? After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany and at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Oh, by the way, for those of you who are studying this particular chapter in your small groups, take a look at the significance of Mount Olives. That's a fun study. It's a good one. So highlight that if you want. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Said the Lord, needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. Verse 35. <clears throat> they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people said, spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, again, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Notice what they said. Blessed is the king in the name of the Lord, not blessed is the Lord who comes. They're still thinking that this dude is just a king. They're still thinking that Jesus is just a king. Just a king. All right? Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the fairies in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Shh. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Next. Pairing. Let's go to the other pairing. 47 to 48. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it, because all the people hung on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? Verse 3 of chapter 20, he replied, I will also ask you a question. Don't you just love this? It's like it's such a managerial skill. You answer a question with a question. <laughs> anyway, tell me, John, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us. Because they are persuaded that John was a prophet, so they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. We have to recall something, though. Pharisees and chief priests don't like like each other, right? The Pharisees think the temple is corrupt. The chief priests are corrupt. They're too chummy, chummy, chummy with Romans, right? The chief priests are chummy, chummy with Romans. So the Pharisees don't like them. But they also knew that there were many uprisings. There were many people claiming to be their 
the Jews next king, and then they have this little spike of popularity, uh, many, many Facebook likes and a lot of shares and a lot of twits. But then it plummets because the Romans quash them. It's sort of like China, you know, doing WeChat on them, you know, the <laughs> right? Like, delete, right? So basically, the Pharisees say, tell Jesus, stop that. We do want you to get into the, the temple. Jesus, we kind of see you as that king of ours, of Captain America. Tell the people, though, not to create the same uprisings as the other ones. You follow? They, they're just basically saying, Jesus, you've got to be realistic here. Can you calm down the people so that the Romans doesn't get us and the chief priests do not come down on us? Because we kind of want you to get it, finish the job. Go in and finish the job, right? Don't let the Romans stop this job, right? But Jesus goes, no, you're wrong again. Why did he quote so that the stones will cry out? It's a quote from many songs. The creation cries out for who? All creation cries out for who? Not Jesus. Not a king. Even David sings it. All creation cries out and sings joy for God. So, when he said, do not even uh, like, uh, quiet down this uh, humanity, because humanity is part of God's creation, guess what? You can't stop it. All creation is going to cry out for the coming of God. So who is really here in front of you, folks? Pharisees, they, so the Jesus is asking, basically asking with another question, who is really here in front of you? If I say that the stones will even cry out, all of creation is crying out for this coming. It's God. Jesus is not this, just merely a king. This is, Jesus is God. And this is the most baffling thing for all religions lately in, this, in, in the modern world. No one can uh, understand other religions, except for us, no one else can understand that Jesus is God. The, why would God die? Why would God touch unclean things? He'll get unclean. Why would God come down, waste his time on people like us? He should be up there, sending a king just to straighten us up. And that's it. Why would God come down and associate and go solo to us? That's the question. And the chief priests and the lawyers and the Pharisees did not get it. Even the people who were crying out, blessed is the king in the name of the Lord, they didn't get it. This is God, not Jesus coming in to the temple. And so, the Pharisees are not stupid, So then, the, and the chief priests are not either. So when Jesus said, even the stones are, uh, are going to cry out, they go, wait, I remember this in my Sunday school class, grade 12. Uh, it's like, I remember I was studying uh, you know, under um, Rabbi so-and-so. We'll call him, I don't know, whatever, Rabbi John. And grade 12, we were studying uh, the book called Malachi. And then Malachi says that God, the only reason why God would come in front of the temple and then the nations, and then the creation cries out, it's when God really wants to judge the people inside the temple. Ooh. Okay, wait, wait, wait. It's, so then, uh, so they're doing their math here. Wait, all religious leaders, including me. You mean Jesus is actually coming in to clean house on everything? 
And then we have verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you even knew, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, encircle you, and hem you on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children, within your walls. They will not leave one stone on the other, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Follow? Jesus now being blatantly clear. God's coming to you. Not, Jesus, not this king, not this messiah that you're looking for, not this savior. God's coming to you. That's the climax, folks. Jesus is God. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Malachi. Folks, right there. The Pharisees, the chief priests, the lawyers, anyone who knows their Bibles, suddenly hears this. God is coming to you. And in all the, these enemies are going to surround you and going to crush you. Malachi. All, and God is going to come into his temple and clean house and burn it to the ground. Malachi. Just read Malachi. All these things are now predicted. Even Daniel, the book of Daniel predicted this. The abomination that causes desolation. What was abomination in this temple? The chief priests and the corruption. The selling, the, the, the selling of sacrifices uh, to poor people, like uh, ripping them off. The, the ripping off, off of the widows. Remember the widow with the, only the two coins? Well, why did she end up with two coins? Is it because she was told, you got to offer everything, widow? Even your last two coins to this bank account. Yeah, we know you're poor, but you're a sinner anyway, so, but you need to fill our pockets. Right? Corruption. Desolation that causes abomination. That's what Daniel said. And Malachi predicted it too. He says, if these leaders are going to be that corrupt, God's going to come into the temple and burn it to the ground. And guess what? Jesus is just the foreshadowing of what's coming to this temple. And it did happen in AD 70. Emperor Titus, Roman, surrounded the, all of Jerusalem and crushed it all to the ground. Worst day in history in Jerusalem, and they're still mourning it today, that all of Jerusalem was leveled down in AD 70. See, what's the takeaway here? Well, if we have a job to do, right? Remember the bookends? The Jews had a job to do. And now we are now called God's servants, aren't we? We are God's children. We have a job to do, too. We have a job to be the light to the world, to the nations. However, we are some of us may be actually just saying to ourselves, yeah, we are definitely neglecting that job. Don't think that God Jesus is actually angry with you. He's not. What was Jesus doing before he entered the temple? He was crying. He was weeping. How come you guys are not straightening yourself out? All that God has done for you, all the things that he has done for you, the healings, the, 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 the jobs, the careers, the, the, uh, the provisions, everything, the health, you're waking up in the morning alive, right? You're in the city. You're, but you're blessed. Like, God has done so much. But, and also continue to warn you, now go. The reason why you're alive today is that you could now fulfill a job. <laughs> My dad has a great saying. It's like, uh, he goes, hey, guess what? I'm alive again. 
And he goes, I guess I have a job to do. Right? It's like, that's the attitude. We are alive today because we worship God. That's part of our job. But we also have a job to do to proclaim his word. And don't think that Jesus is angry. No, because he's weeping. Because he knows what's going to come at us when we don't do our job. And he's consistently going, please, I'm giving you many opportunities. Do the job. You receive this grace, give the grace out. You receive mercy, give the mercy out. Don't be afraid. I'll empower you. I love you. It's not about angry of what you're doing wrong. It's what you're not doing. That, that really hurts God. That really hurts Jesus, and they weep. Because they know what's going to come. The end is coming, folks. It's, just, it's always been predicted. Like, you know, we, we, we always know it. As Christians, we always live as if the end is near. Right? If we do that, let's remind ourselves that Jesus is not here to attack us for every wrongdoing. No, he's saying, no, I'm weeping because of what you're not doing. What you're neglecting. So, in closing, for our sermon today, how do we see Jesus then? How do we see now the triumphal entry? You've, you've, uh, I'm sure that some of your traditions that you come from, you celebrate Palm Sunday now, right? Often. How do you see that now? How do you see the two parables? How do you see his riding into the, 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 the temple? How do you see the cleansing of the temple now? Now you know the whole reason. It's because the Jews didn't do their job. Now, so the next time when you celebrate Palm Sunday, wherever you go, the next time when we celebrate Easter, that's coming up. Think of it this way. The end is coming. Jesus really wants you to do your job. He's just, he's weeping. Please, enough about focusing on yourself and giving you another day. Time to do a job. Maybe to do like what my dad says. Oh yeah, I'm alive. I got a job to do. Amen. Let's pray.